Sliced Apples Podcast with Alex and David. Oh, we're back again with Timo Rodeo. Timo Rodeo. Kind of I feel like it's been a little. I feel like it's been a while. It's been a little, little minute since we all conjured up together, but. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody knows why you're here, but I want to start off with a couple of fan questions real quick quick. before we get into the meat meat, meat and steak and bones, whatever. Meat and taters. (laughs) Why Why don't we get an update real quick, Tyler? Introduce yourself. I'm sure you've got some new awards or accolades to announce or a new show you're hosting, so why don't you go ahead and give us the... Tell the two fans who you are in case they don't know. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm Tyler Milner. You normally find me every weekday on Sports Radio 610 producing for the afternoon show, Clint Sterner in the show, 2 to 6 p.m. every day. And also most days, um, you can also find me doing the best of today for Sports Radio 610 from 7 to 8 p.m., uh, just kind of recap and reviewing all the highlights um, given any given day. So that's uh, that's the majority of, of what I do here at Sports Radio 610, producing 2 to 6 and hosting 7 to 8. Is that what you <laughs> like golf so early in the day? Yeah, yeah, that's the beauty of the afternoon show. The mornings are pretty uh, pretty open as long as I get out to the course early enough. How's your game? You playing well? Yeah, man. Since I started playing more, obviously, way more consistently, um, yeah, I've, I've shaved a lot of strokes off the game more consistently nice. lately, getting into the the, the 80s, which oh, I'm nice. more than yeah, happy we'll with. To, we'll have to get out there. Sorry, David, to hijack you. You can go ahead. I just had to get that out of the way. I know. I, knew, I saw your little nice glow on your face. I was like, oh. golf, uh, golf. All right. So there's going to be three questions. Two of them random, and one of them will lead up into pretty much what we're going to be talking about. To start us with, first one is: Why do you have such a tiny hiney? That's a good one. Um, I would say both a combination of genetics and a lack of glute workouts for myself that that results in the tiniest of hineys. Uh, for for me. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Great answer. Yeah. Are these anonymous fans, or should we like wonder <laughs> who asked our guest why he has the tiniest tiny? I mean, I have an idea of who it is, but <laughs> uh, it has become there... a term of uh, endearment on Clint Sterner in the show on Sports Radio uh, Six Ten. Uh, uh, they yeah. they often refer to me as uh, Tiny Heine throughout any given show. Tiny Heine. Yeah. Oh, geez. yeah, one of many nicknames I have gathered while working with Clint Sterner in the show. Very nice. Yeah, Alex shows how much you listen. Sorry, <laughs> I do what I can. I go visit him at the events occasionally. I was yeah. going to go out to the other one. What did you have just recently? I almost made my way out there, but I think I got the invitation the day of. But y'all had something. Yeah, and Alex is there. You know, in case there's an unruly listener who who wants to fight me, he's there to have my back so yeah that was really bizarre yeah we broke up a fight at the last one basically or he did i just stood there i was i was (laughs) off clock (laughs) 
<laughs> guy was wasted out of his mind. Anyway. All right. All right. This one is a pretty important question. How did you get ver- get verified on Twitter? How'd you get verified, hmm. bro? Man, well, first of all, my damn Twitter is hacked right now, which sucks so bad. I got hacked the very first day of the damn NFL draft, like the worst really? time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, somebody hacked my Twitter and it was, you know, I'm assuming some kind of bot and they started, they changed my profile picture to some weird robot thing and started pushing some spam and yeah, yeah it's I'm this. Other Open side down. meta, ApeCoin. Yeah. You want to buy some ApeCoin? <laughs> yeah, man, sucks real bad. I'm hoping to get access back to it soon, but the apparently the the Twitter help people take, uh, take their time with that. But anyway, I got... With the verification, man, honestly, uh, like months ago, you know, I I ran into their process. Like someone uh, hit me up about it and, you know, went through like you like submit basically a request. And I did that like it was a long time ago, like six, eight months ago. And they got back to me after a few days and were like, nah, you're not verifying you. Like you're not, it's not good enough. So, and after that, I just kind of forgotten about that and hadn't done anything and I woke up one day and I literally woke up, opened my Twitter and I had the check and I have no idea. Like there was no communication, no like anything. It was just there one day. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. That's, that's cool. You got to realize when you get that check mark, you got to tighten up them passwords, bro. You got to <laughs> apparently you gotta set so. up an authenticator or something. Yeah, it sucks, man. They hacked it, and and obviously once they hacked it, they changed my, you know, like the account settings. They changed the email address, so I couldn't, you know, I I would hit reset password, and there's some crazy-ass email address associated with it, so there was no way for me to do that, but I'm hoping they they get me back in there soon. If not, they just have to verify real deal with T-Mail. I mean, yeah, the, the podcast. No way yeah. Either yeah. way, you're verified. Mm-hmm. You're that guy. All right, so break. Let's just we're finally here. We got Team Mill Real Deal on here. We just had the NFL draft this past Thursday. Yeah, we'll just start like you said, uh, David, with the first round. I think I think Casario knocked it out of the park. I think that at number three with the uh, Derek Stingley Jr. pick, the cornerback out of LSU. I wouldn't have been upset if it was Sauce Gardner instead of Derek Stingley Jr. Um, that's not, you know, that's kind of a, being nitpicky. I, I think it's a solid pick, Derek Stingley Jr. I mean, whenever you look at the competition that he was playing on a week-to-week basis compared to Sauce, that's the first thing for me. You're talking about SEC play week in and week out when he was healthy, obviously. And the dude, I mean, we saw him as Aggies whenever they would play against him. The dude is everything you want in a shutdown corner. And if you go even beyond that, the competition he was playing on Saturdays in games, if you look at the competition he was up against in practices, I mean, Jamar Chase, you know, these these freakish wide receivers LSU's put out into the NFL. This dude was going up against them during the week leading up to games and practice. So I think the Derek Stingley Jr. pick was awesome. It addresses an immediate need. 
um, at the cornerback position. We heard Lovey Smith and Nick Casario both echoing in the weeks leading up to the draft that this defense can't do the Tampa two that Lovey is running. This adapted Tampa two, he can't do what he wants to do, and he can't find success without cornerback play. He said that over and over, um, and they go out and they address one of, if not the biggest needs in the secondary for the Texans, so I love that. And then the 15th pick with Kenyon Green, loved that. I I was talking to our local draft expert here. Um, He's a sideline reporter for the Texans, Johnny Harris. I love that guy. He's one of the best guys I've met since I started doing this. But he, he is my go-to for anything draft because I know a lot of guys talk about how much tape they watch, how much they study. John Harris literally spends countless hours every single year. He knows prospects that no one's ever heard of. The guys going in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, he he is addicted to studying these guys. And I was talking to him in the, the days leading up to the draft, and we were both talking about Kenyon Green and the needs for this offensive line for the Texans. And he's like, man, that Kenyon Green, he's a mover. He moves folks like he he isn't, you, you know, you have some offensive linemen that are agility guys and their their fo- footwork is, you know, outstanding. And that's all fine and dandy. But Kenyon Green is just that dude. He is a dog like he will. He will just move whoever is in his way. And that's great, both for pass protection for your quarterback. And more importantly, with the Texans having the worst rushing attack in the league last year, that dude will go out, he will hit his block, and he will not, like, he's just ferocious. The dude moves people. So I loved Kenyon Green going with the 15th pick. Was it a tad of a reach again? If we're being nitpicky, sure. Maybe a, a lot of draft boards didn't have him quite at 15, although he is first-round talent. But, again, I got to trust Nick Casario and what he sees to this point. The guy has shown that he can draft well. So I loved uh, I loved everything they did in round one. I loved Kenyon Green. I loved Derek Stingley Jr. And now with the the trading of Lonnie Johnson, um, Derek Stingley Jr. is that guy in the the DB room for the Texans, and I think he'll show it. Now the most important question is: Are these guys are they culture guys? We know Kenyon <laughs> Green is fellow Aggie. We know he's a culture guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting, right? That's always in the back of your mind, too, with everything that's happened with Jack Easterby and the emphasis they put on culture. And, you know, I, I mean, yes is a short answer. Um, you know, Derek Stingley Jr., super, super soft-spoken, um, never really been in trouble or anything. Kenyon Green, same thing. Local kid, Atascacita, uh, went to Texas A&M. Um, yeah, they both have clean, you know, records as far as anything off the field and stuff like that. But I do like that it appears when looking at this draft class overall that it's not necessarily what we've seen in the past where it's like just choir boys. Like they got to, you know, there's a certain culture we're going after and your, your play in football comes second to it. I don't feel that from, from what Nick Casario did. It doesn't mean that. You know, in the future, they might miss out on a really good football player if he does have a blemish on his on his record off the field or what have you. But these guys can just ball like top to bottom. All the guys that they took all nine draft picks. I think that I think that their ability to play football, what they do on the field came first. But Yeah, I'd say they they also do fit the culture to an extent. So you're saying if you're a GM, you're more of the the longest yard kind of GM. <laughs> but not not necessarily, but like at the same time, like there's 
it's just been, it's another thing that's caused like PTSD within this fan base, right? It's like, man, and I was saying it because one of the last sound bites we had Nick from Nick Casario leading up to the draft, I think it was maybe when he sat down with Payne and Pendergast, but he talked about, he was talking about the culture and you hate to like put a microscope on every word he says, because the guy, first of all, talks so fast, but he said something to the effect of, you know, we want good people uh, you know, good good people off the field to come in here, and then after that, if if they can put it together on the field, and it's up to us to coach them right. That's he said. I can't remember the exact quote, but he made it sound like that was secondary. And yeah. I remember I went on a rant that day. I'm like, no, like I don't give a shit. Like I want football players first. I want winning to be the culture. I don't want you know being a good person and and being involved in the community. I don't want that first. Are those great things? Yes. I don't want murderers and thieves and, and criminals on the team. Of course not. But at the same time, I want guys who are going to go out on the field week in and week out and be badass football players. And then we can talk about their off the field stuff and, and how good of a person they are. Anytime I hear any inkling of how good of a person they are or you know, their beliefs and stuff. I don't want that to even come close to being first. Like that is the thing that gives Texans fans PTSD is because we heard so much about that in the past, you know, and I don't think that's the case with, with these draft prospects. I think for the most part, if not all of them, all nine of them, I think they're ballers and, and maybe, yeah, they do fit the culture. How was, uh, how was your experience this year with what you've gone through with the radio and, you know, who, you know, and the contacts you've made, like how, how has your experience changed from being just a regular fan to being kind of almost an insider in some way? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, because especially like with our show in the afternoon on 610 with Clint Sterner in the show, it, I've almost been given the ability like most of the time, if you work at media, right, you want to, you want to kind of separate your fandom um, to an extent, you want to be able to objectively, like, you know, address things and analyze things and talk it out. But I've almost been encouraged to hold on to my fandom because the guys that I work with day in and day out, Clint Sterner and, and Ron the Show Hughley, like Clint knows football. The guy's a football head. He played in the league. Um, he played at Arkansas, had records for a while for them as a quarterback. But I wouldn't say, you know, he's a Texans fan. I mean, the guy played for the Dallas Cowboys. He grew up watching the Cowboys. Um, I don't think he'd say he's necessarily a Cowboys fan, but he's not like he didn't grow up like a Texans fan. Like he was that's not him. And and we're on the show. Hughley, he's from Kansas City, um, grew up a Chiefs fan. He says he's not a Chiefs fan anymore for some reasons, but I always push back on him on that. I think he secretly is. So I was from the beginning. Our boss kind of gave me that green light, like, you know, you be the the fan you are. You be that pulse of of the fan base and and what you feel and what you hear from from your friends that are Texans fans, um, and it brings that kind of dynamic to the show. But I have learned a little bit to to kind of rein in the the fan feelings. I know in the beginning I actually got in trouble a couple of times for having some feelings about certain people over at NRG, um, hmm. but. I, uh, I, I just embrace it still, man. Honestly, like I, uh, I'm the, the Texans fan on our show and, uh, I kind of let that bleed through. And, uh, at the same time, I am getting better at, 
not being so extreme one way or the other. When things are, you know, super good, I might not, I might hold back a little. If things are super bad, something really bad happens, I might, you know, try to, I don't know if rain ends the right way to phrase it, but, but try to not quite let that bleed yeah. out as much. But yeah, I, that's been really cool for me because I, I know that's not the case with everybody, but I, my fandom is, has been kind of encouraged. So the mixture of like being a fan and then also being an insider or an analyst or whatever you want to call it, your role, viewing the draft in those two different views, wow. how do you grade this? The, it, we'll just talk about the first round. The first round, actually even the second round because John Mechie the third is, is a questionable pick as well because of the injury. So I guess just in in totality, the draft as an analyst viewing it or as a you know radio figurehead, and then as a fan, how how do you feel? I feel tremendous. I feel really, really good about this draft for the Texans top to bottom. And you mentioned, you know, John Mechie, that second round pick, number 44. I've come to a place where, oh, and also, by the way, in the second round, Jalen Petrie, the, the safety out of Baylor, that guy is he's a monster he is a monster yes yeah. exactly i mean he i know kyle hamilton was out there and, and some were a little bummed we didn't get him of course would have loved to have him too but but petrie's actually faster than kyle hamilton he's he's much smaller his his physicality isn't there but he's like legitimately way faster than kyle hamilton and that's exactly what a levy smith defense needs from a guy at that position they want to play fast Every play, they they want their guys just moving, 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 and that's what Petrie is going to bring. But overall, again, I I love it, man. I love it. Even like running back was a need. Obviously, we talked about the the league's worst rushing attack last year, and you couldn't go into this season with Rex Burkhead being your primary back again. I still cannot believe he was the leading rusher for the Texans last season. But Damian Pierce, I mean. A lot of people and, and even some of my coworkers, you know, they wanted a running back before the fourth round. They were they were wanting someone in the second round and third round. And I think the Texans were going to take Brees Hall before uh, was it the Ravens jumped up in front of them. Somebody jumped up in front of them right before their pick and took Brees Hall. I think they were going to go Brees Hall, but Damian Pierce ain't bad. Damian Pierce from Florida, dude. And by the way, for us radio folks, he's he's going to be a welcomed member of the team because he automatically became the most fun personality. I mean, he did a zoom meeting with the media right after he was drafted guy shows up on the zoom, not wearing a shirt talking about how all he's heard, all he knows about Houston is that they have pretty girls and pretty houses guys, a character, but he's also <laughs> just, he's just a monster man. And, and a good thing for Texans, bad thing for Florida fans Damian Pierce was like almost underutilized with Florida. Like he always produced, he always ran hard and, and was just looking for contact. And I'm sure you've seen the most famous highlight from him at Florida. He loses his helmet at like the five yard line and, and just keeps looking for contact and finds the end zone. No helmet. Um, the guy is a beast and to find him in the fourth round, I'm good with man because that guy that guy can ball and florida didn't use him like they used running back by committee almost and i know a lot of people do that and it's popular and why i say it's good for texans fans is you're talking about you know lower miles like the the guy didn't see the field as much as maybe he should have 
because I think he was one of their clear best weapons on offense, and they just kept rotating him in with two, uh, one or two other guys there at Florida. Um, but I think that overall, Casario and the Texans knew there wasn't there wasn't any position really that didn't need help for this roster. But at the same time, they do believe in quarterback Davis Mills, which was made evident again by the draft. It isn't all just talk. They believe in him. They think Davis Mills can be the guy. But other than that, I mean, you draft three defensive guys, you draft six offensive guys. I love that six of the nine draft picks were out of the SEC. It's not all just talk about the SEC being the cream of the crop. It's obvious. Everyone knows that anyone who says it's not is just lying to themselves. So you draft six six SEC guys out of these nine picks, and you addressed needs at a lot of positions. And I think that most of these guys, if not, I'd say I'd say five of these guys, five of the nine, have the ability to be instant day one starters for the Houston Texans, and I think they'll contribute. Don't don't try not to mention too much about SEC in front of Alex Big Ten. Uh-oh. There, it kind of hurts his feelings a little bit. Um, <laughs> I did go to A and M like David and Tyler, so you did. Yeah, so I am an SEC guy, but continue, David. I, would like I had a great question questions. lined up. If you if you have some more bullshit, you can spew. But I got a great question lined up. Uh, you go ahead, though. I think my bullshit is done for the moment. But I want <laughs> oh, is it my turn now? Or you don't have a question? You just wanted to spew the Big Ten bullshit? Okay. <laughs> I said my bullshit is done for now, but I'll okay, okay, some more. So. Tyler, you mentioned Davis Mills, and Davis Mills was a popular uh, topic the last time you came on and our displeasure behind him. I think the last time we talked, I don't think it was before last year's draft, but it was, I mean, I don't think we've had too many times in between then, maybe one or two times in between then. When was the last time we talked, David? We went in the studio, and then I think it's one other time since? After Fantasy? Yeah, fantasy. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we've discussed him some, but you're saying that the Texans, Nick Casario, and everybody is thinking this is the guy. And I guess to put it simply, like define that. Define what you think Davis Mills is. What is the guy in this sense? Is it franchise? Is it Super Bowl? Is it you know replaceable in two three years? Like what is it? Yeah. So. I think Davis Mills, the thing with Davis Mills, and the reason I always headbutt with uh, one of my hosts, Show Hughley, excuse me, is I think it's absolutely absurd for anyone to say that they can draw a conclusion already off Davis Mills. Talking about a kid who played one year in college after being the number one quarterback prospect heading in out of high school, um, the number one quarterback prospect. You're talking about one year of college ball, and you're talking about 11 starts at the NFL level, at which point he showed flashes of being able to do good things. I'm not saying he was um, not saying he was amazing or great, and I don't know what he's going to turn into, but for anyone to say they can draw a conclusion or that they know he's not the guy, it's time to start looking for that next quarterback, I think that's crazy because this kid is so young, And the reason I think there is still plenty of untapped potential and that there's plenty of improvement that we might possibly see from Davis Mills is because 
the dude, by all accounts, is what you need a franchise quarterback to be in the film room. He is reportedly, again, by multiple people, spends countless hours at the facilities, you know, when no one else is there. He He's there, he's going in, he's watching film, he's putting in the work, studying. He's obviously smart as hell. He's from Stanford. The guy is going to do everything that he can to be the best he can when at some, in some cases, that's not the case. A lot of guys just depend on their physical abilities and their freakish athleticism. He doesn't do that because, well, he doesn't have a lot of that, but every successful quarterback that has longevity in the NFL, like that is the first step. You know, your Peyton Manning's, your Tom Brady's, they're addicted to getting better, learning, watching the film that is a, that is for sure what Davis Mills is. He's going in, he's putting in the time, he's constantly, and you started to see the game slow down for him last year. That back half of the season, you saw that literally, and he spoke on it too with the media. He's like, yes, you know, now I'm not having to second guess like the simple things like my drop or, or you know, what play we're running. That all started to come forward for him. So now it's just about if he can put the physical abilities in there with it. And you also are starting to surround him with better talent now. You, you can't get a proper evaluation if his best receiver week in and week out is Cooks and the fall off between Cooks and another receiver that he can go to is like massive. You can't do that. You're starting to put an offensive line in front of him that's more capable. You're, you got to give him a running game, right? A, a quarterback's best friend is a running game. They had the worst running game in the league last year. So you start to do that and you give him a proper evaluation. Hopefully he continues to develop, put what he learns on film and, uh, and, and what he studies Put all that together, and hopefully his physical abilities continue to develop. The game continues to slow down for him, and he could be it. And at the end of the day, you also got to remember that Lovey Smith, who's now the head coach of the Texans, he went to a Super Bowl at one point with Rex Grossman. So it's not, I mean, God, hopefully Davis Mills is better than Rex Grossman. But if if Lovey Smith's Tampa 2 defense, his adapted Tampa 2 defense, can be any resemblance of defenses he's put together in the past, and you do give Davis Mills those weapons around him that he needs to be just properly evaluated, and hopefully in time, yeah, he could be the guy. I don't know that he will be. He'll, I don't think he's ever going to be a Deshaun Watson, obviously. I don't think he's ever going to be. I don't know if he'll ever be You know, a, quote, franchise quarterback. But I think this season upcoming is going to be the first real evaluation of him. And given what he went through last year, again, he showed good things. You watch that Chargers game. You watch some of the deep balls he threw with accuracy. I think he showed enough to get the confidence he's receiving right now from Nick Casario and Lovey Smith and believing in him and saying he's our guy heading into 2022. And after 2022, yeah, let's talk about it. But right now, I think that all the potential's there. We just got to sit back and see now. I can't believe you made a comparison to the Chicago Bears, the 2005 or 2006 Chicago Bears. Because, yes, all he had was Rex Grossman, but go on the other side of the ball. Oh, yeah. Ryan Erlacher. And sure. Don't forget, don't forget uh, Devin Hester that year was returning every other kick for a touchdown as well. So right. uh, I don't think the Texans are quite there. At all. No, yeah, there's no one that resembles Brian Urlacher right now. I just, I just mean it's Lovey Smith. Like he knows defense, he knows ball. I love that Lovey Smith is the head coach right now. 
And I think that Davis Mills has all the opportunity in the world ahead of him to continue to improve and to show what he is or isn't. And I think we'll find out in the next season. Watch Kyle, Kyle Allen win this quarterback job. I swear. Watch. Kyle Allen's going to win this. Oh, God. No way. Come on. Dude. This is going to be this is going to be the juiciest, the hottest QB competition coming into the NFL season. Kyle Allen versus General Mills. That's not Kyle a competition. Allen versus Cheerios. Kyle Allen no. versus Lucky Charms. Oh, it's Kyle Allen running with the second teamers. Be there if we need you. Mm. So you brought up the college and how he had only played one year or so, whatever it was. And immediately what popped into my mind is Mitchell Trubisky. Mm -hmm. Are you hearing comparisons between Davis Mills and Mitchell Trubisky? I mean, at this point, the Bears and where the Texans are at, I mean, at that point in time, it's I'm sure you have a response built up for this. So give it to me. Repeat that last part out of coworker pop in here. <laughs> that was trying to tell him I was out here with you. No, you're good. I just was basically saying, you know, I, I, the first thing that came into my head when you mentioned the shortened college career was yeah. Mitchell Trubisky. So, you know, the latter part of that was just a little bit of elaboration. But your opinion on a comparison, if you've heard it, I'm not sure if you've heard it, but I think it's a pretty logical comparison between Mitchell Trubisky being drafted in 16 or whenever he was drafted, 17. And then yeah. Davis Mills. What are you thinking about that? You know, seeing a trend maybe in that direction or more positively? Yeah, that's interesting because I know I, I heard clamors of, you know, going into this offseason, I believe Trubisky was a free agent. And there was there was some saying like, oh, like Texans. Yeah, obviously go go bring him in as a second stringer, if not to <laughs> to compete with Davis Mills. God, no, please. <laughs> yeah. And that was my response as well. I'm like, God, no, please just we're, we're good on that. No, I I think that. And I didn't obviously pay as much attention to Trubisky, especially in his early years, as I have to Davis Mills. I just go back to the to the work ethic deal and, and maybe the same was said of Trubisky I don't know but Davis Mills literally all you hear about is just how much this guy loves the game and how much he loves learning and studying the game and I think that I, I might be putting too much into it I don't know but I think that the way I hear people inside the building talk about his study habits and his work ethic I also, because as a Texans fan, man, I always default back to the first failed quarterback the franchise ever had in David Carr. And it was that he had all the ability, but everyone swore up and down that he was the, you know, last in first out kind of guy. The guy just didn't, he didn't care enough to to do that, to put in that work, to study the film, to learn the X's and O's, to, to ask questions. So maybe I put too much into that because I'm scarred by David Carr, but I don't know if Trubisky was like that. Um, I do think Trubisky probably had an edge on Davis Mills as far as like just pure athleticism. Like Davis Mills, everyone wants to say how sneaky athletic he is, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I do think he can do a little bit more with his feet than people uh, might realize. He's still not by any means a like dual threat quarterback or anything. He's going to do his damage from the pocket. But again, if he can, if he can make all the work he puts in and all the time he puts in in the film room translate into production and the game really does slow down that much for him. And I think, God, I hope he's light years better than Trubisky showed us. 
Um, the Texans just also have to continue to build a team around him that's going to allow him to do that because last year's roster, given what it was, I'm I'm even surprised we saw the little glimmers we did see from from Davis Mills, especially given that he wasn't really supposed to see the field as early as he did with uh, Terod Taylor going down. So we're we're sitting here, and I'm getting a a feel from you that. Inside the walls of 610 Houston flagship, Houston Texans flagship radio, and inside the walls of what it sounds like, you know, through your mouth, uh, the Texans building, we're getting some good vibes. Like we're, we're feeling kind of up and up about this year. Like we're, we're going to do better than two, three, four wins. Is that where the vibes are at? Or are we still in full rebuild, accepting what it is, like evaluating players. Because at a certain point, I agree with you. You're right, especially in the Davis Mills. You have to get enough game footage of him and enough analysis to know what you're really dealing with. So in certain cases, with certain players, you just have to give it time and look at it. So is this year more of a, hey, let's go win and compete? Or is it? are you getting the vibes of like, we're putting the pieces together, like we're on our way? I think... Let me say this. I, I don't think 2022 is going to be anything close to a Houston Texans playoff team. And I say that, but at the same time, this is the first time I feel like since everything first started falling apart, really since halftime against the Chiefs when the Texans were up by 24 points, yeah. um, or maybe it was whatever it was, that, that collapse. It's the first time since that moment I feel really good about the direction of the franchise. Now, again, like I said, this year, I don't think you're looking at a playoff team or anything like that, but I will say this as well. Whenever you're playing in the AFC South, where the Titans and Colts are clearly at the top, um, the Jaguars have sunshine at quarterback. I I still don't. <laughs> I will not never believe the Jaguars are a team you should be worried about until they show that they can like not be a dumpster fire because even in the Texans worst moments to me, the Jaguars have been the basement of the AFC South for the better part of their existence, but it won't be a playoff team. But I think things are moving for the first time that we can actually see. And it's not just words coming from Casario and management with the Texans. I think we can really see that things are moving in the right direction. Um, I think that things are only going to get better from here. And I do actually believe whenever Nick Serio, Lovey Smith, and the Texans say they want to compete week in and week out and they want to go out and win, I believe that. I think they're, they, they aren't going to be in a situation where they're trying to tank to try to be at the top of the draft. I really don't think we're going to see that. But I, I don't see them being a playoff team. Still not there. But as it stands right now, for next year's draft, and I know this this is a ways off. We just finished the 2022 draft. But if Lonnie Johnson makes the roster for the Chiefs, who we just got traded to today, if he makes that roster, you're looking at an NFL draft next year where Nick Casario is going to be heading in as it stands right now with 10 draft picks. If he wow. does anything like we think he did this year, and time always tells how good a draft class is, I get it. But if Nick Casario can do anything like he did this year and, and like he did with the five picks last year and you continue to make smart moves, I think that this team is is ultimately going to be competitive and, and in the playoff talks in years to come. And 
a lot of that is also dependent on quarterback play and what Davis Mills does or becomes. Um, yeah, man, I, I feel like I told you earlier, this is the first time, the very first time in forever that I feel genuinely overall positive and good things about the Texans. It's been a while. It feels weird. It's strange. But yeah, I, I think they're on the right track now. And I think Nick Casario, I think it feels really good and really strange to have someone making calls that just knows what the hell he's doing, that that just knows how to run a roster and how to manage a roster. So I think the Texans are, are on to something good. Man, if I didn't know any better, the Texans hired me to be their GM. Sheesh. <laughs> um, so what does anybody know? What is the QB draft class looking like next year? Because I swear I was so upset that finally Texans for the first time in a while have good, um, good spots in the first round. And of course it was the weakest quarterback class in recent memory. And I was just like, bruh, you gotta be kidding me. Any other year we would have got most likely got some kind of stud. Uh, yeah. But what, what does anybody know what that's looking like, or is it too early to tell? I don't know. I know they sometimes well, have the like way too early mock yeah. draft of 2028, you know? Yeah, I was about to say, I actually saw the first, like what you just referred to earlier today. I saw someone from CBS put out their way too early, you know, uh, prediction for, for next year's draft. And it actually had the, the Texans taking Bryce Young at Alabama um, at quarterback, which I think he will most likely be the the A prospect at quarterback next year. I know C.J. Stroud from uh, Ohio State will be up there as well. Um, but, shoot, to say that the Texans are going to be drafting Bryce, I mean, that I know that's, a, like the guy said, it's a way too early, you know, bold prediction type. But, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I, it's so dependent on what you see this year from Davis Mills. So, I, I don't know about that. Stay, See, go for it, David. No, 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 no. You guys. Stay, sticking with this year, then, because I, I have two, just two more, I guess, questions or one question from this draft, and then I'll be wrapped up on mine. But John Mechie, you know, I watched him in the SEC championship game. He tore his ACL. He's an mm -hmm. absolute animal. I watched him being in the SEC. David calls me Big Ten. Being in the SEC, I watched him plenty. He's an absolute monster. I want your opinion on him with the ACL and kind of what you're – what you're hearing and what the general opinion from the group is, but also your own. And then Christian Harris, man, I feel like we haven't talked about him, but Christian Harris is an absolute monster. If you watched yes. any Alabama games, you heard the name Christian Harris. Christian Harris is a crazy freak of a monster. So, but John Mechie, what are you thinking? ACL injury, really questionable pick here, but good value at this, at this, at this number, I think. Yeah. Yeah, dude. So what's really interesting to me. So I, I see the John Mechie pick happen and my gut reaction was like, I, I knew the Texans needed to go after a receiver in this draft and given when they took Mechie, there were a couple other names on the board. I may have liked better than that. Just, just based purely off the ACL injury, which, um, might be fair or not, but what's really interesting when it comes to receiver and, and with this John Mechie pick, what I fall back on um, that some people don't know is that Nick Casario, the GM for the Texans, 
during his time at New England with the New England Patriots, there was actually a stint where Nick Casario was the wide receivers coach for the New England Patriots. It's his uh, only NFL experience on his resume um, that isn't, you know, in some sort of executive role or scout or, you know, what he does now. Yeah, front office uh, position. But he was the wide receivers coach for the New England Patriots. And so when it comes to Mechie or anything regarding receiver moves or or the the molding and sculpting of this receiver room for the Texans, I, for me, I, I can't push back too hard on anything that Casario decides because I think of all of the positions, and I think he knows football top to bottom, but when it comes to receiver, I got to trust Nick Casario on that because he, he coached it at the NFL level. Um, he did great things with the receivers the Patriots had during his time there. And you actually sometimes see him, a lot of the times you see him even here in Houston, like he's a very involved general manager, even on the practice field. Like he's out there. He's not right. I got I to stop you real quick. I'm sorry. Yeah. But the yeah. last time we were talking, we were discussing how we thought Casario was in with the Easterby McNair situation and how it, it, we were not this pro Casario. Like, where did this come from? You're, yeah. you're talking about it like he's like the savior who's come to help the Texans. I mean, well, I, I will actually defend T-Mail on that. Last time he was on here, I felt like he, he kind of made it clear that he was, it was the Jack Easterby, that culture, blah, blah, blah. And I think T-Mail even talked about how he felt like Nick Casario was kind of breaking away from that. But he was hired because he was buddies with him. That was like, that was the the deal. But the thing was, at first it seemed like Easterby was making the decisions. Casario was kind of just the middleman, just there. Like, if Easterby says this, you do it. But now it seems like Casario is the one calling the shots. And I think that I think T-Mail last time he came on here explained that like he likes that Casario is actually making the decisions now. And it doesn't sound like it's coming from Jack Easterby because we all just love Jack Easterby. Gotta love him. him. No, I I think that's fair, Alex. Like I I think the whole Patriots South deal is I mean, that's always always going to be in the back of our minds. Anytime a trade happens involving the Patriots, anytime a former Patriot is signed that's for sure a worry. Um, but I would say that Nick Casario, the GM for the Texans. So GMs do a lot, you know, whether it's free agency, the draft, uh, in season moves, stuff like that. I have a lot of question marks still with in season moves, with free agent pickups, with trades with Casario. I think the jury's still out. But when it comes just specifically to the draft to drafting players given it's a very limited amount of it's a limited sample size from what we've seen from him we've only seen the one draft class last year the five picks and now we'll see begin to see about this year's draft class but I think that is his strong suit and what I do feel comfortable saying to this point that I like really like about him I think that I think he Nailed it last year with the five picks, the limited picks he had. All five of those picks contributed in some way to the 2021 Texans. I mean, even Roy Lopez, who I believe was a fifth or sixth rounder, that guy may have been the best. He may have contributed the most to the Texans last year. 
um, and became a, a staple part of the defense. But I would say that for sure is always a worry. But with the draft, I'm starting to really believe that this guy just knows what he's doing. I mean, the moving and shaking he did uh, this year, you know, going from nine picks and then at one point he had 11 and moving up and and it looks like on paper to me like a great draft class. So knock on wood, hopefully they are. Um, but yeah, I, there's still a sour taste in in my mouth and I'm sure a lot of other Texans about the effect of Jack Easterby and the Patriots South and that sort of deal. But the Texans are aware of that too. Um, it's silly to me that he's still employed, that he's still the vice president of football operations, Jack Easterby. Hey, yeah. love him. Love them. But but they know that the guy the guy was you would find him in any shot in years past on draft day in the war room. You would find multiple pictures of him close by to to um, McNair and whoever the GM was and the head coach. And this year you didn't see that because they know uh, he was there. Like I, I I know for a fact he was there. He was near him. But but they're conscious of the effect this guy has, which makes it all the the weirder that he's still a part of what they're doing. But I think Nick Casario knows also that this is his show. And I don't think that he's like a Bill O'Brien or McNair. And I, I think if he should be, were to even try to have some kind of input on a decision Casario's making, he'd just say, Hey, bud, like maybe, maybe you just go sit over You're here. You're not for- that guy, pal. You're not yeah. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I got, go, talk to, I, go talk to Joel Osteen, bud. Like, yeah, ahead. exactly. And, and I know they have a relationship. Um, Casario and Easterby, but I I really do believe Casario, like he knows this is his show. He knows his career and and everything that will happen with the Texans, good or bad, is going to fall on him. And he ain't going to let, whether he loves him or not, he ain't going to let Jack Easterby like impact that. Okay. Okay. You sold me. I was just, you were a little, I just, I I felt like we're a little, we're a little hard on him in the past. And all of a sudden he's just, you know, kind of this, you know, God's gift to earth guy. So that's all I wanted to clarify. Oh, that's we're fair. That's absolutely fair. The, Texans, the whole organization, everybody yeah. top down. But some breaking news actually today. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, <laughs> but that DeAndre Hopkins trade really huh? isn't looking that bad now, huh? <laughs> uh, don't say that. Don't say that. You're going to ignite a flame. Uh. Still rough. Tyler and I, we could we could go back and forth for 30, 40 hours on that. <laughs> Suspended six games, PDs, man. I what do you do? What do you do? He take steroids or what was it? Did he put I, stick them on his gloves because he's still skinny as hell? So I was I thought that was the first thing that went in my mind. I was like, he's just putting shit on his gloves to catch the ball. You know. Yeah, I haven't heard any. Last I heard, we didn't know the details except for it was uh, PED use. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I'm sure it's some sort of like anabolic steroids or something like that. Probably a recovery thing. You got to think that's popular nowadays. Yeah. Like in some form of recovery or like oxygenation or something like that. So anyway. He, he also was working out with Will Fuller and working with the same people he was um, in in years past. So maybe it was whatever Will Fuller got popped with last season. Ooh. Catching that. Yeah, that whole office about to be shut down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 